0: came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the same baptism that I was baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." So the desire for power
1: and privilege seems almost universal to the human condition. I mean, who among us doesn't seek out a better situation for ourselves or our loved ones? There's, there's something inside of us that, that is competitive, that says, I really want to be in a better situation, I want to be on top. You can't have winners without losers. Someone's gotta lose, but we all want to be the winner, right? We all want to be on the top and some of us desire to be and can't help but want to uh, have places of prominence. There was a... I was showing off from my girlfriend Katie uh, a few weeks ago. We were all dressed up for some church event or something. I can't remember what it was, and we went to a restaurant in town where it's kind of a fancy place. And since we were all dressed up, but she was like, "Oh, it's going to be crowded. I don't want to. I don't want to sit at the bar and and all of that." I said, "Trust me, we'll be we'll be all right." And I went in and uh, I mentioned to the maitre d' who said it was going to be a while. Katie's back was turned to me. I said, uh, I mentioned the. The chef happens to be a friend of mine, right? And someone I know, the head chef. And I mentioned that to the Maitre D, and Katie didn't hear this part, but we get up to the to the front and she thinks you know it's gonna be an hour wait. And the guy goes, Well, good evening, Mr. Price. Thank you for <laughs> for joining us tonight. We have your table right over here. I was like, Ah, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: so they bumped like ten people. <laughs> To slide me in, so not only not only did we get right in to have dinner, but I looked really good in front of Katie. <laughs> and it was, but you know, who wouldn't want a, Who wouldn't want that special privilege? Who wouldn't want that special place in line? Who wouldn't want to to stand out in a crowd and be be drawn out and have And I, I granted, I know that there's a bunch of introverts out there who are like, I wouldn't want to do that. I I don't want any part of that kind of thing. But there are many among us who, who would feel very good about that, and it becomes it becomes uh, difficult to not seek that out. I mean, who doesn't want the their kids to go to the best school, right? Who doesn't want the best things for their children? And yet, there are a lot of children who don't go to very good schools. Uh, and how do we? It's a struggle within us, kind of reconciling those things. As pastors, we have, as American Baptist pastors, we, uh, in our professional organization, the Ministers' uh, Council, we adopted a code of ethics that every pastor in ABC signs. And part of that code of ethics is that we will not use our position as pastor to gain favor. In other words, when I get pulled over for going too fast, <laughs> I can't say to the to the police officer, "Well, officer, I'm you know Pastor Curtis from First Baptist Church on my way to you know serve the poor, or uh, you know I just got a little carried away in my zeal for the kingdom of God. I got a little heavy footed on the accelerator." That's something I'm not supposed to do, <laughs> and uh, any good cop would uh, double my fine anyway. But we find ourselves pulled by these desires to be in, pro- in positions of power and in positions of prominence. And in fact, in this country, positions of power get struggled for, and, and often we who even try to influence the world for good must play into those power struggles in order to feel like we're accomplishing anything. And so you can hardly blame... James and John, it just seems to be an inherent part of our condition to say, I want a place of prominence. Here they were, especially these two, here they were, working class fishermen, under the, helping their father Zebedee with the uh, family business, under the thumb of Roman occupation, under the thumb of Roman domination. Uh, beholden to the religious powers and the Jewish aristocracy that, that also uses religion to hold them in and to keep them calm and down and away from rebellion or anything like that. And here Jesus comes along talking about the kingdom of God being near. And they begin to believe that this Jesus, this preacher, this carpenter is the long expected and awaited for Messiah. Yes, that Messiah who was going to come on a white horse with a big sword, who was going to bring an angelic army and was going to vanquish Rome and establish the throne of David once again, returning Israel to its glory days. When David was king and God ran the world. And so James and John and a bunch of his other fisherman friends, they hitched their wagon to Jesus, expecting that any moment now, God will send that heavenly army and vanquish these Roman oppressors and remove the Jewish aristocracy from power and install Jesus on the throne of David. So ingrained was this notion that they failed to notice that Jesus in the verse right before this one made pretty clear to them for the third time that they're on their way to Jerusalem. Why? So that I can be handed over to the authorities, so that I can be humiliated, beaten within an inch of my life and then hung on a cross. And their response to that is, well, can we... Can we, uh, when you come into your glory, can we be on your right or on your left? In a stark display of failed discipleship, they hear what they want to hear. And so they see in Jesus an opportunity for role reversal. Can we... When you bring about that, they figure, well, okay, we'll go to Jerusalem. Yeah, you might run into some trouble. But then, heavenly army, big sword, white horse, right? That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And uh, boy, it'd be great if we could get in on that action, right? Get on the ground floor. Be on the right, be on the left. Gain a little power. No more fishing. No more nets to mend and all of that business. Today they are oppressed subjects of the Roman Empire, then they will be one of the early adopters of the anointed one of God. Perhaps they can secure that place of power and privilege when the revolution comes. Yet, trading one domination system for a completely different domination system is not what Jesus has in mind. You see Rome in Rome at this time, it's not character that gets a person power. It's not charm nor talent. It is not even particular skill or education that brings you power. Power in Rome is based on might and/or station. And today there are some similarities, I think, to the way Rome worked. In that where you are born. And who you are born to plays a big role in determining one's own destiny in this country. It's, it's a shame, but it is indeed the way it is. Power and privilege come to the rich, to the skilled, to some extent. If you are a great football player, for example, or great at acting, a certain amount of privilege and money is afforded you. The society seems to lift up those who are glamorous, those who can read a line, those who can throw a football. Uh, we place great value on those skills. I would think that the, uh, the plumber has more impact in my personal life than uh, any football player, but uh, doesn't seem to be the way we value things. I would think a teacher would have more impact in my real life, and yet, how do we value that? I would think the nurse and the healthcare provider would have more impact in my daily life, and yet, somehow, how much power and privilege do we afford those professions? I would think the guy picking tomatoes, making them cheap enough for me to buy and feed my and cut up on my salad has more impact in my life than most corporate corporations or most football players or Brad Pitt and yet the kingdom of god jesus imagined in the kingdom of god jesus imagines a world where power is not something struggled for but power is something that is shared Privilege is not something that is granted to an elite few, but the privilege of basic human dignity and consideration is afforded to all people. Amen? That's the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching about, never mind that people weren't hearing it. That's what he said. Really, the only way that can be possible The only way we can experience the kingdom of God that Jesus lived for and died for and rose again for, the only way we can truly embrace what Jesus was talking about is for those who hold the power and the privilege to give some of that up. See, the problem is, Jesus didn't really give us a violent option. We could could come up with a violent option and A lot of places do. Even good-meaning people, good people, good groups say to themselves, Well, if we just overthrow this tyranny with violence, then we will establish peace. That's exactly how Rome established peace. They had a violent peace. Once you subjugate everybody, there is peace. Unfortunately, the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't give us that option. The only way for us to experience the kingdom of God as Jesus proclaimed it to the world is for those who hold power and privilege to give some of it up. For those who are on the bottom, on the margins, pushed to the side, take it up. Jesus had a consistent message throughout all four of the Gospels, which is rare, (laughs) i got to say. Jesus had this consistent message. The lowly are lifted up and the high and mighty are brought down. Blessed are those who are poor, marginalized, unseen, untouched, mourning, who are left out. And woe to you who are abusing uh, your riches on the backs of the poor, powerful through violence, and who use your power of religion to dominate others. Woe to you, Jesus has said. And so for us, like James and John, to drink this cup, as Jesus insists, we must resist the temptations of power and privilege we must resist trading one domination system for another and answer jesus's call in a different way a way where the greatest among us are those who serve the least amen jesus lived a life that brought sacrifice on his part. For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So that we might be freed from the domination system that they were under. And freed from the domination system we are under. And in fact, culpable. Lord. We are called as the people of God to live lives sacrificial what does this look like for us Well, i think it looks like those who have power and privilege must give some of that to those without power and privilege so that they can take it up and i have to i say this as kind of the poster boy for power and privilege Uh, I was, you know, I'm a white male extrovert born to well-off parents in a great part of the world with clean water and several cars and a television in every room and all those things that we count as uh, success (laughs) and feeling comfortable. So I say in a in a society where one gender holds most of the power and privilege, that group must be willing to give up some of that so that others can come to their full potential. In a society where one particular race is in power, people in that group must be willing to give up some of that so that others can work on level grounds. And it means that in a world where so that Most of what is there to be had is held by a very small group. That group must be willing to let some of that go. So that the vast majority of people in the world can rise to their full potential. It means that where we get our money and how we spend our money changes things. Let me say that again. How we spend our money, how we receive our money, impacts the kingdom of God directly. We'll be talking about that stewardship month in November, but I'm just leaving you with that right now, a little teaser. (laughs) How we treat our money is a reflection of our faith. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. But at the heart of it, At the heart of where Jesus is going with this is that we must be willing to create an environment where one does not dominate over others. What Christ envisioned as the kingdom of God was not Israel being on top and everyone else being below. That's what threw everyone off, because that's what they were expecting. Was to be back on top. I think people were frustrated with the Messiah they got. Maybe even a little disappointed. We were hoping for something a little better than Jesus, <laughs> uh, uppity carpenter who get, whose mouth gets him arrested and executed. What kind of Messiah is that? And yet, it was the kind of Messiah who said, I'm not willing to take up the sword and just become another domination system. Even if we label it the kingdom of God, it must be something else. It must be a place where everyone has a level playing field. Where all are able to become that which God created them to be. Where the needs of all of us are taken into consideration by all of us. Where how we live does not cost someone else how they live. Jesus entered into, brought into the world this kind of reversal of things where the meek are lifted high in order to explain to us how this was going to happen. And James and John couldn't hear it. The other disciples couldn't hear it. They wanted to fight about who was going to be great. And they asked for this position of prominence. And yet I wonder when, when after Jesus said, can you drink my cup? And they, they gave a rousing yes I wonder if they even noticed that at that moment when Jesus hung on a cross to his right and to his left was not James and John was not the most prominent uplifted people was two thieves who were executed with Jesus two bandits lowly left out marginalized wretched that is the picture of the kingdom of God Jesus wanted to leave us with where in order to make dramatic change dramatic sacrifice must happen now we can say to the poor lift yourself up by your bootstraps but that isn't how it works it works when those in power sacrifice Jesus the son of God Jesus the king of kings the lord of lords the prince of peace Jesus the messiah the anointed one of God not taking a throne taking a cross He made the example for us. If you want to be great, God's king. Be the servant, the slave of all. Let us pray. With loving God, we hear this message and we, we hear it as a call to humility, but we also hear it as a call to examine our own situation to look at ourselves, to look at our world, to look at our society, and ask, where is the power? Where is the privilege? How can we lift up the lowly and bring down the high and mighty? More importantly, God, you ask us to look at ourselves. Where are we, the ones of power, Where are we, the ones of privilege? Where are we, the purveyors of a domination system that that thrives at the expense of the weakest among us? May we, under the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, may we be willing, where we have power, to let some of that go. That others might be lifted out of their lowly state. Prominence, fullness, experience the freedom. We ask all of this in the powerful.